Daniel chapter 3. This morning we are looking at this story from Daniel chapter 3 that an awful lot of you know very well. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it is a great story. And as I said, very well known. You know, there's a lot of people who, even if they aren't uh, necessarily Christian, haven't necessarily read this story, they may have heard something about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace through which the three of these gentlemen uh, survive because of their faith in God. And I was thinking about this story and thinking about the kinds of things that we focus on typically as we go here, looking at Daniel chapter 3. And I'm not going to read through the whole story this morning. I'll read some portions, but not the whole thing. We just just don't have time uh, to read the whole thing. But here are three things that we normally focus on. And I'm going to kind of do it like this this morning. First, I want to focus on the first two. Uh, The need to remain faithful to Yahweh exclusively. That is definitely a key point in this passage. And then the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is also kind of a key element uh, in this story. And so this idea of being faithful to Yahweh, and exclusively so, is right at the heart of what it means to be a follower of God within Israel. In fact, there are some passages. We won't turn to all of these, but you just think about these passages and the significance of them in the Old Testament. If you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, what you would find is the first and greatest commandment. And it talks about specifically how there is one God. The Lord your God is one. And you will worship him and there will be no others before him. And that's because he is indeed exclusive. And the text even says that God is a jealous God. And you think about that, people sometimes think, well, jealousy isn't necessarily a virtue. And isn't there something wrong with God being jealous? Well, not if there's not something wrong with me being jealous if another man's in love with my wife. I would be jealous. If I found out that somebody loved Robin and was courting her, if Robin started getting flowers from somebody at work, uh, that would irritate me more than just a little. I would be jealous about that. And our God loves us. And so it makes sense to me that if I start to worship another God, that God, because of his unending love for me, his devotion to me and care for me, is in that sense going to be jealous. And of course, that calls out of me incredible faithfulness. I need to respond to God's love and his care for me with amazing faith and make him the priority that he should be in my life. Another passage that we looked at even last week was from Matthew chapter 22 verse 34 that quotes Deuteronomy 6:5. And again, this is a passage that says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength." And it's the first and greatest commandment to love God in this way. And if you were to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, you'd find exactly that wording, exactly that verse. God wants us to love him, to be completely devoted to him and no other. Well, there is a reason for that. And it's not just because somebody decided that they wanted to be exclusive in their faith. It has to do with the reality of who God is. There is, in fact, according to what God himself says, one God and he is it. 
And if the Lord our God is one, then it just makes sense that you're not going to worship others who are not God. In fact, if you did, something is going to happen between you and God that just shouldn't happen. Megan, would you come up here for a sec? I I asked Meg if she would be an example for me this morning. And she willingly complied. She was so happy to be my example. Let's imagine for a moment that the Megster grew up in this church building. She grew up here and there was nobody else around. She just got plopped here. And as she starts to grow, there are things about this building that would actually nurture and take care of her. So for example, uh, over here along the side and over here along this side, I can hear them even right now, there are furnace ducts that are running. And so when it's minus 20 outside, if as long as Megan stays in here and those furnace ducts are producing heat, those furnaces are plugging away, she's going to be fine. She can be warm and filled and all those kind of things just in here by herself. Let's imagine that there's a timer. And let's imagine I set the timer. I set a timer and the timer comes on every morning, uh, 7 o'clock, the lights come on. Maybe it's a little early for her. Let's say 8 o'clock. The lights come on at 8 o'clock and, and she just looks around and says, boy, I've got warmth, I've got heat. I've got light. And then let's imagine that somewhere around here, there's a, I, I didn't bring one in because it'd be too heavy, but a refrigerator. And I keep that stocked with food. Or maybe there's a microwave even that works. And every now and then I set that microwave while she's still sleeping in the morning. I go over and I set the microwave. I set it for an hour. It runs. And pretty soon it comes on. And then when the food is ready, ding, it goes off. And she wakes up. She doesn't see me, but she sees a microwave. And the microwave produces for her food. And so you've got food, you've got heat, you've got light. And if Megan didn't know anything about me, then it'd be real easy for her to start to think to herself, you know, I don't know where all this is coming from, but man, I love that furnace. I'm glad that that furnace is there. And those lights, they just come on. I'm so grateful for those lights. Those lights are fantastic. And that refrigerator or microwave that produces the food for me, this is just the coolest situation. I am, oh, I just am so grateful for that microwave and that refrigerator. And pretty soon, over time, maybe a period of years, because she's just living here by herself. Now, I haven't said anything about showering, but, you know, that, somehow that's going to happen, okay? So she lives in this, in, this, in this room, and she's just taken care of, and everything is wonderful. And Meg begins to really, you know, she's so grateful for those things. Pretty soon, she is devoted to the furnace. She's just so thankful for it. And she's devoted to the lights, devoted to the refrigerator, because she just knows nothing else. And she's, she's wanting to reach out somehow to these things that are provided for her and that are there for her, and she doesn't really know where they're coming from. So she just begins to, to see those things for the goodness that they are to her, and she devotes herself to them. Well, that would be an interesting situation for sure. But I wonder if that's not that much different than the way in which people respond to our world. And that's, in fact, I think, the way that people responded to the world around them as they started to grow. They looked at the sun and they said, man, the sun is absolutely wonderful. And it wasn't very long until there was a sun god. And they noticed the crops that were there for them and the seasons that were there for them, the crops that grew. And pretty soon there was a god of the seasons. You get the point. It wouldn't be very long before the world was not thinking at all about Yahweh, who maybe isn't as disclosing himself as he later does. 
that they would, in fact, start to think about these things as some kind of almost deity. Now, what would be interesting about all that is that as they began to devote themselves to those things, God, I think, would be hurt. Not unlike if I came and revealed myself to Meg and I said to her, Honey, I wasn't able to always be here, but I'm the one who provided that furnace. And I'm the one who gave you those lights. And I'm the one who filled that refrigerator and gave you that microwave and all that food. And I did all those things because I love you and I adore you. Because you're my daughter. <laughs> and you're so precious to me that I just took care of you and I did all those things. And then Megan looked back at me and said, Go away, I love the furnace. <laughs> what I'm in love with is the lights. What I'm grateful for is the refrigerator. And thanks, but no thanks. Okay, you can sit down. I think, I think that that is exactly what happens in our world. As people reflect on all the good things that they have, and then God comes along and says, I'm the one who's responsible for these things. And he reveals himself to Israel and wants to reveal himself to the whole world. And they look at the stones and say, out of these, I think I will construct my God. And they look at the sun and say, the sun is wonderful and I'm going to devote myself to the sun. And God himself, who then comes and reveals himself to them, I think, can only feel the way that I would feel if I had loved Megan, but for some reason wasn't able to let her know. And then finally did come and tell her, I love you, and these things are there for you because I love you. And she said, I'll just keep worshiping the lights. My heart would be broken. And I think the heart of God is broken as well. So it's no wonder to me that there is need to remain faithful to Yahweh exclusively, that he wants Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be devoted completely to him. But then there's another aspect of this that I really want to focus on this morning that I think is even more important, and that is this third thing, God's relational care and protection of his children. And, and I want you to notice just a couple of things in this passage. They kind of, I don't know, they jumped out to me anyway. In terms of the way that God interacts specifically with these people. When you look at the text, and Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is totally offended. In fact, it's an interesting point that Nebuchadnezzar is so offended. Why is it that this man would be so offended about people not worshiping a God that he constructs. Like he builds the God. He can't be thinking to himself, this is a wonderful God that I've made. But he seems to. And he's terribly offended that people would not worship the God that he made. As if this God somehow, he makes an idol out of gold and is offended because people won't worship something that he has made. What's going on here really? Isn't it Nebuchadnezzar who's being challenged? I think so. It's certainly not the idol. The idol doesn't care. 
But Nebuchadnezzar himself is terribly upset that the idol is receiving, or that the idol not receiving the worship from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he wants so badly for it to have. And it's totally out of front to him. Well, God wants what Nebuchadnezzar wants, in a sense. But for Nebuchadnezzar, it's totally unjustified. And for God, it's totally justified. The love and devotion and commitment to him is exactly what is, in fact, justified. And the reason is because God desires, more than anything, to be in relationship with his people. And so Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been thrown in. And he jumps out of his seat, the text says. And he looks in and says, there is a fourth figure in there. There is a fourth being. And this one looks like one of the gods who is in there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's totally blown away by what God is now doing in joining himself to those whom he loves. And my point is simply this, that in these dark moments for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but also in the moments of light, God is with his people. We're not going to worship God just because of command. We're not going to worship God just because he says, be faithful to me. We're going to worship God because he is the one who longs to relate to his people. And this is, in fact, the big difference between the, the God of stone or the God of gold and Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who reaches into our world to love us. Yahweh is the one who chooses to reveal himself to us. He's the one who walks alongside us. He's the one who's going to go into the furnace and be with us because he wants to be our God. He wants to be relational. The idol of stone and gold is always silent. The one who speaks through the seasons doesn't really speak. The microwave would not talk to Meg. The furnace might hum, it might blow loudly, but it's not going to talk. And God comes and he talks and he relates and he stands alongside because he loves. And the relational care and protection of his children is just who he is. And so it's not surprising to me that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, would look in and see this fourth figure in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He'd been there all along. He cares for them in that way, and he had revealed himself to them in numerous ways. And certainly in this specific way comes to stand alongside these three. Well, that's not any different, really than God entering the world in his son. He wants to be relational in our world and sends his son to stand alongside us and be related to us. In the life of the church, he sends the Holy Spirit to come and enter into us and indwell us, to be with us, because he wants to relate to us. 
And what we find throughout history is that God is choosing to not be silent. He's not an idol of stone. He's not an idol of gold. He's the God who speaks, who loves, who relates. And he cares for you and me and gives himself completely to us because he loves us. What he wants is for us to not worship the microwave. He doesn't want us to worship the lifestyle that we have here. He doesn't want us to worship the things that he provides and then distract us from giving attention and love to him. He instead, he says, wants all your heart, all your strength, all your soul. And he wants you to do that in the context of relationship with him. And so I don't know what fire you're in this morning. But there's a fourth one who comes. And he's there with you. He is wanting to be in relationship with you. And he wants to enter into your life. And be there for you. Praise God that we have that kind of God whom we can worship and with whom we can be in love. Let's pray. Holy Father, we praise you and thank you that you love us like you do. Lord, sometimes we see things around us that we tend to put our focus on. They distract us. It's easy for us to be drawn away. It happened in the ancient world. It happens now. But Father, help us to see how badly you want to be there with us. To relate to us. To be one with us. And help us, Father, to put our, our whole selves, heart, soul, mind, everything about ourselves into relationship with you. It's through Jesus we pray.